What's a, what's a prelude? What's a prelude? Now, the term uh, prelude, most of you probably know it, right? It's, uh, <clears throat> literally, it would mean before play. Before play. Um, most of you understand a prelude in terms of music. Uh, you think of a, a musical score and you think of maybe an introductory 30 seconds or minute of a music piece in which there is an instrumental uh, period of time leading up to the song, leading up to the main attraction, if you will. Uh, some of you might understand prelude in terms of drama, uh, and you might think of a, of, a, of a play in which Act 1 is somewhat of a prelude to the main sections or components of the play. <clears throat> a prelude, by definition, is something that precedes the main event. A prelude, by definition, is something that precedes or introduces the main event. And so it makes me wonder what a Honda, Honda Prelude really is, you know? Is a Honda Prelude like a real good car, or is it almost a real good car? You know? Any, any Prelude owners out there? Okay, I didn't offend anybody. Honda Prelude, I mean, why would they bother with that name? It simply means that you're supposed to await something better. The Accord, that's right. The next step up. Folks, in our study today in the Gospel of Mark, we've been in the Gospel of Mark now for many months. We're in chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. And our story today is a prelude. It's an introduction. It's a preceding event before a main event. And as we will see toward the very end of this message today, not, not in, the, in the beginning sections, but toward the end of this message, we're going to see that this message and this story about the death of John the Baptist is a prelude, is a preceding event to the death of Jesus Christ. And Mark is going to craft this story and use this story carefully such that it can be used as a prelude, as a foretaste of the coming of the death of Jesus Christ. The title of my message today is, As the Death of John, So the Death of Jesus. As the Death of John, So the Death of Jesus. And we're going to see some fascinating history in this message and some fascinating parallels between the death of John and the coming death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look at Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 14, we're going to read 14 to 29 and then go through this story verse by verse. Mark 6, beginning in verse 14, it says, Now King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name, excuse me, heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, No, it is Elijah. And others said, It is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. They're speaking of Jesus there. They're trying to determine who is this Jesus. Verse 17, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John the Baptist and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his wife, excuse me, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, 
it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things, or he was very perplexed. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And he heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, O Lord, I ask that Your Spirit would guide this time. Father, this is Your Word. And we desire Your Word to speak, not our words. I pray, Lord, that we would carefully handle Your Word, accurately communicate it, that we would be able to apply it to our lives as Your Spirit works on our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Back to verse 14 to 16. Now King Herod heard of him, speaking of Jesus, for his name had become well known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, no, it's Elijah. Others said, it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Now, folks, this is uh, the first mention of King Herod in the Gospel of Mark. That might be surprising to some of you. Uh, we find uh, Herod the Great mentioned in uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, but this is not Herod the Great. Herod the Great, of course, was uh, the, the Herod who sought to persecute and kill the baby Jesus. Herod the Great, from uh, Matthew, uh, early parts of Matthew and Luke. And here we are in Mark chapter 6, verse 14, and we see another name by the name, another man by the name of Herod. This is Herod the Great's son, one of his many sons. This Herod goes by the name of Herod Antipas, A-N-T-I-P-A-S, Antipas. And Herod Antipas was one of many sons of Herod the Great. When Herod the Great passed, he divided up the region of Israel into three districts. And Herod Antipas received the district of Galilee. 
He was, if you will, a regional governor of Galilee under the Roman government, of course. Under the Roman government. He was not a king, and yet he's described as such. Um, the Romans would have taken offense to him being considered a king. Uh, they, Caesar and his delegates would have certainly looked upon him as, as a governor in particular. Um, so perhaps Mark is using this a little bit tongue-in-cheek when he says King Herod. Um, how does Herod hear of Jesus? How does Herod hear about this Jesus character? Well, first, you might recall in Mark chapter 3, the Herodians, who were his official government delegates, who the Herodians in Mark chapter 3 witnessed Jesus' miracles and teaching in Capernaum. We're most likely uh, in a setting here near the city of Tiberias, which is on the south side of the sea, and to the north side of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum. And in Mark chapter 3, we see the Herodians were in that city listening to Jesus teach in the synagogue and watching Jesus as He performed miracles. Correct that. They were probably not in the synagogue. They were probably outside the synagogue because the Herodians would not have been full Jews. So they would listen to Jesus teach on the road, if you will, or out in the villages. And they, heard, and they saw Him perform miracles. Okay? Secondly, he would have heard about the Herodians because the missionary endeavors of the disciples in Mark chapter 6. Remember last week, Jesus sent the disciples out on their first missionary journey and He sent them out all throughout the land of Israel. In particular, the northern regions, Galilee. And word was getting around. Jesus' fame was spreading. And Herod now begins to hear of this miraculous healer and teacher, Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 14, when he heard of him, for Jesus' name had become well known, Herod said to himself, this must be John the Baptist. Look at verse 14. He says, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Which, of course, would mean that, that John the Baptist had previously died. But you see, that's a rather abrupt statement. Because in the Gospel of Mark, we haven't known yet that John the Baptist has died. Verse 14 is the first mention that John the Baptist has died. It's an interesting way of telling a story. In essence, Mark gives the end of the story before he begins it. In verse 14 he says, John the Baptist is dead. And then only in verse 17 is he going to go back and recount that story. Now some are disagreeing with Herod in verse 15 and they say, no, 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 this is not John the Baptist. Some say, no, no, it's Elijah. It's Elijah risen from the dead. And still others say, no, no, it's, it's the prophet or like one of the prophets. The bottom line here, folks, is that there was tremendous disagreement over the nature of the identity of Jesus Christ. Tremendous disagreement. Some people thought He was John the Baptist risen from the dead. A great prophet. One who had extreme influence in Israel. Particularly um, to those who would come out and to hear Him teach out in the wilderness. Others said, no, no, this is Elijah risen from the dead. This is, a, this is another great prophet and, and God must have, have sent Elijah back to warn us, perhaps, perhaps this is the beginning of the eschatological kingdom mentioned in Malachi when, when Elijah will come back 
Others say, no, no, this, is, uh, this may very well be the Messiah, or this might be another prophet. There was tremendous disagreement, folks. Tremendous disagreement over who Jesus really was. And Herod himself was convinced in verse 16, again it says, that he was John the Baptist. Herod could not get this idea out of his head. And Mark indicates why he couldn't get this idea out of his head. Because in verse 16, John the Baptist was the one whom Herod had beheaded. Now Mark is going to provide some context. He's going to go back to the story now. And he's going to say, why is Herod so concerned that that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead? Why is Herod so concerned that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead, even though he is not? This is Herod's perception. And Mark begins to interject a story in verse 17. Let's read it together. Verse 17 to 20 for now. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill John, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things, or he was very perplexed, and he heard him gladly. Permit me to work backwards here for a moment. Look at verse 20. Mark's opinion, folks, of King Herod is, uh, is tremendously unusual. Tremendously unusual. Um, Matthew and Luke do not share the same kinds of opinions. Uh, they're not as agreeable, as you will, with Mark's high opinion of John the Baptist. Uh, of, of Herod's high opinion of John the Baptist in the Gospel of Mark. But Mark says that Herod feared John knowing that he was a, whole, was a just and holy man, and Herod protected John. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed and heard him gladly. Clearly, Herod was wary of John. He wasn't sure what to make of this Jewish prophet and teacher. On occasion, he would hear John speak. Now, we don't know what the circumstances were. Was this out near the Jordan River? Or was it later on while John was imprisoned? I would imagine probably the latter, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, But Herod, when he did hear John speak or teach, preach, he heard him with eagerness. He heard him with a a sense of, of wonder, of awe, of perplexity. Now, focus on those uh, words there, the word perplexed uh, at the very bottom there, the word perplexed. it says he was very perplexed. Some of your Bibles say that he was uh, uh, he did many things. Uh, here we have a, a little uh, minor uh, discrepancy. You know, I like to bring these up just very briefly, just to say here are the options. Uh, give it uh, give it some study. Come up with what you uh, see, what you believe to be the the true answer here. There are, are manuscripts that say one of two things. Some manuscripts say that Herod was very puzzled. And some manuscripts say that Herod, uh, that Herod did many things when he listened to John, which doesn't seem to make as much sense. Go ahead and bring up that next slide here, one after that. 
you can see why there's a discrepancy. You see the two Greek words? Can you even make out the difference? I know for some of you, you're looking at that and you don't even see a difference. But the difference is, in the English transliteration, there's an R on the fourth letter on one of them, and there's an I on the fourth letter on the other one. You can ima- and, and, and the same goes, holds true for the Greek alphabet. It, it is really only a one-letter difference. Um, and it was a scribal error. And uh, I would argue... I would argue that it's the latter, uh, excuse me, the former, uh, to be puzzled. It seems to make much more sense in the context. It says, when Herod heard him, John, he was very perplexed at John. But he heard him gladly. Rather than, and when Herod heard John, Herod did many things. Or John did many things. Um, That doesn't seem to jive quite as clear. Um, so I would take exception to the New King James translation on this one of the very few times um, I personally would do that. Um, I think it's the perplexion of Herod here. So Herod, here's John. He's perplexed by John. He's in wonder. He's in awe of John. But he hears him gladly. He hears him with eagerness. And he wonders, he wonders about the teaching that John offers to the people. Now jump back to verse 17. Verse 17 indicates that Herod only imprisoned John due to the request of his wife. It says he bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. For the sake of Herodias. Mark highlights the fact that Herodias, Herod's wife, hated John the Baptist. According to verse 18, John had been speaking out against their marriage. And uh, why was he speaking out against their marriage? Well, the end of verse 17 suggests that Herodias was none other than Herod's brother's wife. Uh, Take a look at these two points about uh, this relationship. One, uh, Herodias, in Mark 6, 17, the the woman here, was married to her uncle, Herod Philip I, who was the half-brother of the Herod in our story today. Okay, some would some would say it was Philip the second. Uh, there's two Philips to, to choose from. I would argue it's Her, Her, Philip the first. So Herodias is married to his half brother. That's the main point to remember here, and married to her uncle. Now we find that very odd and weird. Uh, at the time, uh, legally speaking, it was not prohibited. Uh, that that uh, that came to develop later on in the centuries over culture and time. But legally speaking, uh, that was prohibited, or that was permissible. And secondly, Herodias divorced Philip I and married his half-brother, also her uncle, Herod Antipas, from Mark chapter 6, verse 18. Now, these are some fascinating historical details that, that, that just show you and give you a taste of what's happening in the story here. We're having a major Inter-family conflict. And what we don't see up here, what I haven't mentioned, is that Herod, Antipas, has divorced his wife to marry Herodias. He's unlawfully divorced his wife to marry Herodias. So we have a husband and a wife who have unlawfully divorced their spouse, joined in union together. And John the Baptist, according to verse 18, says, 
No, that's not right. John the Baptist begins to preach out against Herod and Herodias. It was a serious offense in the eyes of John and all law-abiding Jews. The Levitical law certainly prohibited it. Apparently, Herodias had left one powerful husband for another. One powerful uncle for another. And when she heard that John was disapproving of it, she became angry with John. So much so that verse 19 says that she wanted to what? Kill him. But she could not. That is to say, she didn't have the authority or, or not enough support, not enough public opinion support. She took a, she took a, a poll and uh, she uh, you know, put her finger up in the air, saw what she was able to do on a social level, and uh, the crowd wouldn't have it. There was a disapproval rating by 82% on killing John. Got to love politicians. Verse, uh, excuse me. So, so she waits. She waits. She waits and looks for an opportune time to get her vengeance. Take a look at verse 21 to 23. Then, Mark says, an opportune day came. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. And also he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. The day came for Herodias' revenge. Her husband... Herod, Antipas, had thrown a large birthday party for himself. He had invited all the prominent nobles, officers, and chief men of Galilee. And uh, at this lavish party, there was a good dose of entertainment. As things would have it, his, uh, his wife's daughter, Herodias, not his daughter, uh, became a, a main attraction, if you will, of the party. Verse 22 indicates that she danced before Herod and his company. Um, to be clear, this was not a tap dance. Um, this was probably a different kind of dance. Uh, I'm not going to go into the dance. However, Herodias begins to dance in front of uh, the company, in front of uh, all the prominent men, her uncle, um, her stepfather, and all the prominent people of Galilee, prominent men of Galilee, government officials. A little couple thoughts about Herodias here. This is fascinating. Josephus. Uh, Josephus is an ancient historian uh, from the first century. And he oftentimes writes concerning some of the... Um, you'll see Josephus' uh, bust here in just a moment. There he is. He's got, he's got a nose like me. You know, if you look at my nose, it kind of looks about the same. It's got that big bump on, on top there. That's Josephus. And Josephus had some fascinating history. He wrote a lot of history that corresponds with biblical history. And, and, and uh, he paid a lot of attention to the first century. And uh, notice what he says about uh, Herodias. He says that with her first husband, Herod Philip I, her first husband, Herodias gave birth to a daughter, Salome. Biblical record doesn't say her name. Josephus does. Her name was Salome, the dancing girl of Mark 6.22 
Herod Antipas' niece. So we find from Josephus that her name was Salome. Secondly, Salome's second marriage, this is interesting, folks, for those of you history buffs, was to her uncle and cousin, Herod Aristobulus II, the brother of Herod Agrippa of Acts chapter 12, whose son was Herod Agrippa II of Acts 25 and 26. In Acts 12, that Herod Agrippa killed James, the apostle, and God struck him and he died with worms uh, eating him in Acts chapter 12. In Acts 25 and 26, this is the Agrippa that the apostle Paul stood before and gave a defense of his actions and evangelized in the book of Acts. And so I bring this up, folks, just to say, look at how involved this family is in the rise of Christianity. This family was the prime antagonists, if you will. Some of the prime antagonists to the spread of Christianity. It's all within the Herod family that we see so much of the persecution and the hardship in the biblical records. Moving on, back to our, uh, our story here. Herodias leaves her husband again for her half-brother. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, and her daughter, Salome, we find from Josephus, she comes into this party, begins to dance. Herod is pleased. And look what he says back in our story. Herod says two times. He says, ask me whatever you want, Salome, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Mark repeats Herod's words, uh, and that suggests that, that Herod was, uh, was repeatedly giving this oath. He was repeatedly, almost like in a, in a drunken stupor, saying, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Whatever you want, I will give it to you. He wanted to, uh, to fund her future education at the Caesar's School of Dance. And he was offering her unlimited, unlimited riches. Whatever you need, up to half my kingdom. Now, most likely he wasn't serious about giving her co-rulership. But nevertheless, the girl knew she pretty much had uh, an open, open door to any gift she desired. And so she goes to her mother. And we pick it up in verse 24. So she went out and said to her mother, Herodias, What shall I ask? And her mother said, like, like most good mothers, the head of John the Baptist. Her mother says, I want you to ask for the head of a man. The head of John the Baptist. This girl was probably just a teenager. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths, because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Mom, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist. Herodias returns, her daughter returns to Herod and his company in the men's quarters and she walks up to him and says, he says, what do you want? And she says, I want 
John the Baptist's head on a platter. And it says that the king was exceedingly sorry. He was exceedingly sorry. Uh, Mark would not use uh, that term. He, he does not use that term exceedingly lightly. Uh, anytime you see that term in the gospel, that, that is meant to show an extreme kind of grief. A serious kind of sorrow. He was exceedingly sorrowful. Because remember in verse 20, he looked upon John as a just and holy man, protected John, heard him, was perplexed by him, but nevertheless heard him with joy. I don't, I don't mean to defend Herod, and I don't think Mark does either entirely. Herod was a wicked man. But it seems that in this case, He did not want to execute John, at least at that juncture. At that juncture. And with one slip of the tongue, Herod put himself in a bind he could not get out of. Um, Just for a moment, just rash words, rash oath-taking, rash promises. I think that that's something that uh, is often a product of, of any culture, including ours in the West. Um, sometimes we use our words so hastily and we can speak so out of turn or without lack, with lacking discretion, making promises and not keeping them. Um, saying, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that and then, and then not following through. Um, we can learn from Herod here. When we speak, when we offer promises, when we use words, we need to mean them. We need to put weight behind them. We need to use, choose our words carefully such that we don't find ourselves in trouble with our words when the time comes. The Bible has a great, great deal to say about oath-taking. Um, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus seems to suggest don't, don't take any oaths at all. Um, I've, I've spoken on that previously. I actually don't believe that Jesus is prohibiting oaths there. But I think the overall teaching of the Bible, and I've given you many, many verses to go over this at home on your own, the overall teaching on the Bible when, when, it's, when it comes to taking oaths is rarely and when you do, make sure you mean it. Take them rarely and when you do, make sure you mean it. In the end, one of my all-time favorite uh, biblical passages in, in my favorite biblical book is Ecclesiastes 5, 2-6. This is what it says. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity. And a fool's voice is known by as many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? This is some powerful wisdom from from King Solomon on, on, uh, on being slow to speak. Being slow to speak. Um, and I, I admonish all of us to use our words carefully. Use them with great discretion. Take oaths very, very sparingly. And when you do, fulfill them.
Back to our story, verse 26. It says, Yet because of the oaths, and because of those who sat with Herod, he did not want to refuse her. Herod felt obligated to fulfill his niece's request and to make good on his word. Verse 27. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Because of that oath and because of those who sat with him, around him, Herod had to make due on his promise. The social pressure was too great. And he reluctantly ordered John's beheading. And John's head was returned to Herod on a platter, who in turn handed the platter to Salome, who in turn handed the platter to Herodias. Herodias' wrath had been appeased. Verse 29 indicates that, uh, that when the, the disciples, his, his disciples heard of it, they, they heard of the execution, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Um, it's important to note that this is most likely John's disciples, not Jesus' disciples. The his there, the, 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 the pronoun used there is in reference to John. And so, John has died, and when his disciples heard about that death, John's disciples heard about it. They came and took away John's corpse and laid it in a tomb. Mark 2.18 is uh, one of many passages that indicate that John had followers of his own, some of whom, Simon and Peter, or excuse me, uh, Andrew and Simon Peter, left to follow Jesus. And upon hearing the news that their leader had been executed, they take away the body of John and bury it in a tomb. Now, I began this message um, with the title, As the Death of John, So the Death of Jesus. And uh, you're wondering, we haven't even spoken about that. We haven't even mentioned the parallels. We haven't even talked about the correspondence. And I want to save that for now, the end. I want us to pause now with the story behind us and look back at this story. And ask the question, why does Mark spend so much time retelling the death of John the Baptist? Up until this point, Mark has spent all his ink on Jesus Christ. Almost a biography, if you will, of the life of Christ. And yet here, in verses 17 to 29, he pauses that biography and goes to a significant diversion. He goes to the person of John the Baptist. Well, why does Mark do this? Is it merely for the sake of church history? Are we supposed to really walk out of here and think, wow, I learned a lot of history today? Or is there something more to it? Is there some correspondence that we can find between John's death and Jesus' death? I, I think the evidence is overwhelming. And I think that the reason why verses 17 to 29 are in our Bibles today are not merely to think about how John died, but to prepare for, to be the prelude of, to be the preceding story that leads up to the death of Jesus Christ.
Take a look at some of these parallels. First, the hateful, scheming death plot. All these references here are in the Gospel of Mark. You could find many, many others in Matthew and Luke. And we could find many, many other parallels. The hateful, scheming death plot. Herodias, chapter 6, verse 19. And also, those before, uh, 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 later on in verses 24 and 25, she is plotting for the death of John the Baptist. So also the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, the Herodians, and all the verses I've listed behind me are plotting for the death of Jesus Christ. They want to kill this person. Secondly, the unwarranted arrest. John was arrested because Herodias didn't like him. John was arrested because Herodias disliked him. And she told her husband, kill this man. And he said, no, I can't kill him. I'll arrest him to appease you, but I can't kill him. He's done no wrong. Jesus, likewise, in chapter 14, um, He's arrested and He says, look, I've been, I've been teaching and preaching in the temple and the synagogues, and yet you come in the dark of night to arrest Me? Unwarranted arrest. Not a legal arrest. Thirdly, both John and Jesus were feared by political and religious leaders. It says in 6.20 of Mark that Herod was fearful of John. It says in chapter 11.32 that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders were afraid to say that John's baptism was not from God because of fear of the people and fear of their response. They were unwilling to discredit John's ministry because they feared John and they feared the people who supported him. Likewise, Jesus was significantly feared by the scribes, religious leaders. Um, in particular, they were fearful of the people who followed Jesus. Fearful that if they did anything to Jesus, the people would rise up in opposition to it. Fourthly, both John and Jesus were deemed innocent by the highest ruler during their trial, if you will. John, in chapter 6, verse 20, was deemed innocent by Herod. Herod did not want to kill him, according to Mark. Jesus, in chapter 15, verse 14 of Mark, was deemed innocent by Pilate. A ruthless man, no less. But Pilate looked upon Jesus and said, Look, I find no wrong in the man. I find him to be innocent. Fifthly, the execution order was given with reluctance due to intense social pressure. Herod orders John's execution with sorrow. He thinks to himself, why have I done this? Pilate orders Jesus' execution and says, hey, my hands are clean. I find no wrong in this man. I will order the execution, but I find no wrong in this man. And sixth, and finally, burial in a tomb. Um, John was taken by his disciples, buried in a tomb. Jesus was taken by Joseph of Arimathea and buried in a tomb. A careful burial. Um, these are six, friends, 
I believe there are probably many, many others that both you and I could find if we enlarged our parameters to Matthew and Luke. What's my point? Well, we, what we just read today, Mark 6, 17-29 in particular, is not about history. It, it is and it isn't. We're meant to know about John's death. It's important to know about John the Baptist's death. But I'll tell you what, a greater purpose in reading this story is that Mark is telling you and me and telling his audience to whom he is writing his Gospel that what you see in the death of John is what you will soon see in the death of Jesus Christ. What you see in the death of John is what you will soon see in the death of Jesus Christ. As one scholar very aptly notes, uh, Hurtado, he says, just as John's ministry has foreshadowed Jesus's, so does John's death. This tale then serves as an ominous warning about the fate of Jesus. The cross looms in the background from this point on in the narrative. That's well said. It's very well said. You and I are meant to read the story and we're meant to think, as John is dying here, so our Lord is going to be dying soon like this. There are also some things that we can, that we can learn from this story. Other than to know it in terms of it being a prelude to the death of Jesus, um, there are things that we can take and, and use for our own lives These are some closing thoughts to consider. First, Herod's tongue and his pride contributed to the death of John the Baptist. He made a reckless promise which, coupled with social pressure, compelled him to order John's execution. Because of his oath, because of those who were with him, he ordered John's execution. I want to focus on the tongue and the pressure there. I'm on, I want to ask the question, are we controlling our tongue? Do we make promises and not keep them? Does our, spat, does our speech uh, lack discretion? Do we often find ourselves in trouble on account of our words? Um, if that's you, I want you to consider uh, those verses. Ecclesiastes 5, which we just read. James 1.19, which is... Um, Be slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. James 3, 1-18, which elaborates on the idea of being slow to speak. Speaking with great discretion. Using words carefully. Secondly, are we swayed by social pressure? Does our conduct or speech deteriorate when we're with certain people or groups? Do we desire their approval so much that we're willing to compromise our faith? I imagine all of us can relate to this to some degree. I urge you to consider these passages. Mark 8.34-38, which speaks of gaining the whole world and yet forfeiting your soul. Romans 12.1-2, which speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind and not conformed to the pattern of the world. Philippians 3.7-15, which speaks of of not looking upon earthly things as your gain, as your riches, as what you value, but instead 
looking upon the person of Jesus Christ as who you value and who gives you value. Controlling the tongue. Not being swayed by social pressure. These were things that Herod lacked. And it contributed to the death of John. And uh, we, we can learn from Herod's mistakes this morning. Control our tongues. Be mindful of our susceptibility to social pressure. <clears throat> Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, oh Lord, uh, we've, we've looked at a, a bunch of history today. We've looked at a, a historical record of the death of John, a prophet of yours. One of the, one of the greatest prophets, Father. Called many and urged many to repent and to believe in the coming Messiah. And yet, Father, his life was cut short because of a reckless promise, because of social pressure. And Father, we see that what happened to John is what happened to your son. We see John as a prelude to what happens to your son later on in Mark. And Father, we resonate with the injustice. We resonate with the, the unwarranted arrest and execution. One that John certainly did not deserve and most certainly your son did not deserve. And Father, we're, we're reminded that, that your son died a death he did not deserve. He took upon himself our sin. The things that we should have paid for. And we're grateful, Lord. We're grateful for what You've done for us through Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, that we would learn to control our tongue. We would not be swayed by social pressure as was Herod. That we'd be able to learn from this precious story in Your Word. Thank You for this time, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.